Today's episode of the Trapital Podcast is brought to you by MoonPay. MoonPay is the leading Web3 infrastructure company trusted by major crypto brands and millions of people worldwide. MoonPay is your portal to Web3, a reimagination of the internet where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. MoonPay makes it fast and simple to jumpstart your Web3 journey. Quickly use your debit or credit card to buy and sell crypto and purchase digital collectibles. Visit moonpay.com slash trapital to get started. These were women who were living in the shadows of the men in their lives who had achieved all the fame and the success. And how were these women leveraging the relationships that they were in and the things that they were doing to get to where they wanted to be in life. So I always framed it as an opportunity. So you're getting these stories, right? All of the heartbreak and all of the joy, the highs, the lows. But in exchange, these women are also getting this platform where they can build their brands, build their businesses. Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcy. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip-hop culture to the next level. Today's guest is the producer and entrepreneur, Mona Scott Young. She is the mind behind Love & Hip Hop, she also was a music executive for a number of years, worked with Violator, and put together some of the more memorable hip-hop branding deals of the time, such as Busta Rhymes and Corvassier and Mountain Dew. She worked with 50 Cent and Vitamin Water as well, and a bunch of other deals. And she's been someone I've wanted to head on this podcast for a while. We talked a lot about the business of TV and how things have changed specifically for a docu-follow show like Love and Hip Hop. This is a show that has been going on for more than 10 seasons now and has had different franchises, different spinoffs, and has had plenty of copycats as well. So we talked about the business of the show, what it's been like producing it, the platform that a lot of the talent have had that have come up from it. One of the most famous examples is Cardi B and what she'd been able to do after the show. But we also talked about some of the other talent that's come from the show as well. We also talked about how Love & Hip Hop is positioned and some of the perception that it's had, whether or not that perception is more so chatter and criticism, or has that actually made a material impact on the business of what Mona's doing. She also talked a little bit about some of the other projects coming up from Mona Me Entertainment, such as Hip Hop Homicides, and a whole lot more. It was great to talk to her, get her perspective on streaming, the industry, where things are, and overall the brand deals that are happening in hip hop. Great conversation. Glad we finally had her on. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here's my chat with Mona Scott Young. All right. Today we are joined by the one and only Mona Scott Young, producer and one of the great folks in media and entertainment today. And I feel like for you, you've been more than a decade in with Love & Hip Hop. You have several spinoffs. How do you keep things fresh? How do you keep everything coming year after year? You know, I always say it's about reinvention. It's about evolution, making sure that you are constantly growing, whether it's me as a producer and applying that to the franchise. You know, what's great about the way that that concept was built is it's that it was a world, right? So we could always populate different folks in and out of that world. So it gave us an opportunity 
to, you know, cycle in new talent who had fresh stories to tell. And I think that has a lot to do with the staying power and the longevity of the franchise. I think the other thing that's impressive is just how the show has been able to stay consistent with all of the changes that are happening with media and streaming and anything else. Have there been any big shifts that you've made from that perspective as things have continued to move, whether it's from cable to streaming networks to where things are now? You know, not necessarily in terms of the concept, right? Because like I said, the stories are what keeps it fresh and different. But we definitely loosened up our shooting style a lot and we became, you know, more free-flowing. I think to be in line with the fact that folks were able to tune into social media and see things happening in real time. You know, when we first started the franchise, a big part of it was this very soap opera-like feeling that it had. And over the course of the years, we loosened that up a little bit just so that the stories were able to, you know, track a little more closely to what was happening in real time in their lives. That makes sense. Do you feel as if social media changed the overall feel and the flow of the show itself? I know that's something that I've talked to a lot of people at TV and they felt like they've noticed that. How are some of the ways you feel like social media either impacted things for Love & Hip Hop? Absolutely. You know, because there's such a lead time with production and editing, it's really hard to stay up with the fact that these folks are out here living their lives on social media. And so the audience gets a chance to just tune into their IG lives and get a blow by blow of everything that's happening in their lives. So that by the time our show is edited, it's hard for it to feel fresh. Right. Because they're like, oh, I saw that happen months ago. And so it's finding those other stories, getting the cast to keep things exclusively for the show so that there's this sense of discovery for the audience. Because I think that's the biggest hurdle for reality TV is the fact that, you know, everyone has access to their audience and can broadcast their lives you know, on a minute by minute basis. And so how do we offer something that's different, something that's entertaining, something that feels fresh and current and relevant? I think that's the biggest challenge. Have you noticed that shift with social media at all changed based on what platform has been popular at the time? Of course, the show is popular as ever in Black Twitter. But how about with TikTok now with things picking up there? Have there been any unique things you've seen with the reception there? necessarily. You know what? I'm not a big TikToker. I don't know if I should say that. I probably just aged myself a thousand years. But, you know, I haven't really noticed a big shift based on TikTok viewership. I know that, you know, or usership, because I know that that's mainly what music, dance, or are they doing skits on there as well? I mean, they're doing skits. I feel like with the show like yours, though, it's unique because I think that you're reaching a bit of an older demographic than the folks that are really in TikTok. But like with all these social media platforms, they do tend to scale up at some point, right? So the younger kids are using it. We'll see what happens. Yeah, one of the biggest things that we saw happen on social media were the reenactments, right? The recreations where you had all of these social influencers and social comedians doing their takes on the scenes from the show and that gave it a whole nother life. And I think, you know, what people enjoy about the show is the cast's ability to be self-deprecating. They make fun of themselves. So sometimes you'd see them participating in those skits. You know, social media has always played a huge role in the success of the franchise, even dating back to the very early days where we gave bloggers and the video influencers, the social media influencers, a sneak peek 
at the show so that they kind of had first dibs and the immediacy of, you know, them talking about the show and, and having that engagement was a big part of the success of the show. So I love it when I continuously see the show showing up in different ways on social media. Can we also talk about how social media has been a big piece for how a lot of the folks on the show can use Love and Hip Hop as a platform to do other things? I think Cardi B, of course, has been one of the hallmark examples of this. But what are some of the other folks that stick out for you in terms of, yes, what they were able to do with this show and then social media took them to another level? I mean, if you think about everyone who's like started a business, right, most of their products, they're hawking them online and via social media. So, you know, whether it's the waist trainers, the hair clips, makeup, all of that stuff kind of came from seeing it on the show and then watching them blow it up. And then you have some of it that was reverse engineered, like Cardi was huge on social media already as kind of a, you know, influencer comic and having an opportunity to be on the show expanded her audience. But I just think seeing those two things come together, that was probably the biggest example of how, you know, social media and linear TV worked really well to really expand her brand. Yeah, especially with her specifically. Jimmy, she's giving you the shout outs and the songs too, but just seeing what she's able to do creatively with the brand. And I think that's something that's been unique that we've seen with reality TV overall. But I feel like with your type of show specifically, because you do get some of those characters that come back, you have some that go off and do their own thing. You see a bit more of that variety than some of these other shows where it's like one season and then you may never see that person in the That's very, very true. I mean, one of the big mandates for me, because a lot of these shows were just about chronicling lives, right? This is about your life. For me, it was always, this is an opportunity, right? If you think about at its core, these were women or the core of the original concept. These were women who were living in the shadows, right? Of the men in their lives who had achieved all the fame and the success. And how were these women leveraging the relationships that they were in and the things that they were doing to get to where they wanted to be in life. So I always framed it as an opportunity. And what I love to see is how, you know, they go out and they take advantage of that opportunity. So you're getting these stories, right? All of the heartbreak and all of the, you know, the joy, the highs, the lows. But in exchange, these women are also getting this platform where they can build their brands, build their businesses. Everyone from... Yandy, right, who went from being behind the scenes to having her yell skincare and all of her other numerous businesses that she has. Cardi with her music, who, you know, was doing her music, didn't have that massive success, had a huge following on social media, but was able to kind of connect the dots in a way that allowed for her music to take off. Oh God, Rashida, Carly Red, and Kay Michelle. And when I think about all of the success stories with their businesses and their brands, that for me is the big differentiator for Love & Hip Hop because I think these ladies understood the assignment, understood that this was an opportunity and took advantage of it to you know, level up in their lives and what they were doing with their businesses. And I feel like I've seen your own career and your own opportunities take a similar evolution as the show has continued to have its own success. And you had started your production company years ago, but I think right now we've just seen more and more opportunity for creators like yourself that have been able to establish their franchises and just have the success and have different networks have interest in them year over year. What has that process been like? 
Yeah, you know, it's the most gratifying thing because I think, you know, the first to market with anything always is a double-edged sword, right? So Love & Hip Hop was the first docu-follow of its kind that focused on the genre of hip hop and the way that we did and re gave a different look and feel to what we're used to seeing on reality television. And what we've seen since then, I think, are a lot of shows that I would say Love & Hip Hop paved the way for. You know, shout out to shows like Power and, you know, Empire and even Rap Shit that Issa Rae has on right now. I look at that and I go, yeah, the fact that, you know, we're now giving space to scripted shows that are set in this world and shining a light on the culture and, you know, the women in the culture specifically, if you look at Rap Shit, I feel like that is a direct descendant of what Love & Hip Hop was able to pave the way for. Yeah, those are good examples. I feel like that moment in the end of the 2010s, you started to see more of shows. I feel like that whole empire run and a bunch of shows around that were able to see a lot of success there. I also feel like around this time, too, especially in the most recent years, we've also seen a lot more studios and a lot more folks get different opportunities, whether it's folks getting these overall deals from the streaming services or some others getting big interest from private equity firms that are trying to invest in these studios. As someone that runs a studio, runs a production company yourself, how do you view that landscape and how those opportunities have come up for different folks? I mean, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a wonderful thing. I still don't think there's enough of it happening. I always say that during, you know, Black Lives Matter, when we were at the height of that movement, there were so many overtures, right? So many calls made and people wanting to be in business. And I do believe you're seeing an increased number of programming that caters to our audience and opportunities for those content creators. But I also, you know, hope that this trend continues and I hope this isn't kind of a performative gesture in order to check a box or to satisfy, you know, their contribution. But I think it's great. I think the more that audiences understand that their viewership matters, that their support matters, and that's really what is going to dictate it at the end of the day, because we can, you know, get those dollars in and we can get those opportunities. But if those eyeballs don't tune in, then, you know, we're not going to continue to see the programming and have those opportunities. So I think it's, you know, nice to see it happen. I'm very interested in seeing what the staying power is for this and how those opportunities increase and not, you know, level out. Mm. Do you think that there is any sort of fear or thought that folks should have about the staying power of those eyeballs? Like, do some of these things seem a bit more fleeting in nature or? I don't think we get the same commitment to staying with something and giving it an opportunity to grow, right? It's like, if we don't have instant success, if we don't get those eyeballs instantly, the idea is, oh, this audience isn't here moving on to the next. Right. I just think that sometimes it takes a minute for a show to catch on. I don't ever think the same marketing dollars are put towards the programming so that folks even have the awareness level that's usually left to us to figure out what are the ways that we're going to bring visibility to, you know, our shows and make sure that, you know, folks know that we exist. Again, I just hope that the commitment extends beyond just the initial overture and that there is promotions and marketing and commitment to seeing these shows grow. 
and find their audience like every other programming has an opportunity to do. That makes sense. It also makes me think about whether or not there are specific differences as well for folks who are making shows, whether it's something for streaming versus something for cable TV or for network specifically, because I know that with your shows and some of the others that are doing reality things, most of your audience still is, at least from my understanding, still tuning in through cable and watching it through those areas. But even though we started to see some reality TV that's been exclusive to these streaming services, it still hasn't been to the same extent that we see, like whether it's with Love and Hip Hop on VH1 or some of the other services. Why do you think that is? And do you think that'll change at all? I think the formats have to evolve in order for us to find the right formula to live on the streamers. You know, those shows are about repeatability and about, you know, the binge watching. And, you know, for reality, there's something about that appointment television, that tuning in week in, week out that I think plays into the idea that what is happening is happening to some extent in real time, even though we know it isn't. And the ability to, you know, watch it all. I think it's just a different, it's a shift. It's a paradigm shift. And we have to figure out what the right formula is, what the right content play is to work in that arena. So there's a lot of conversations around that and everybody's trying to find like kind of what is it right now, what you're seeing on streamers are formatted docu-series like real estate shows and, you know, those kind of, I'm trying to think of, what are some of the docu-follows that are living? Probably the Kardashian show on Hulu is one example, right? That's kind of a beast of a different nature, right? There's a rabid audience there for the Kardashian clan that I think will watch no matter where it exists. So, you know, I'd love to see more conventional docu-follow find its way to the streamers. I think there's going to have to be a little bit of a fine-tuning in what that format looks like for it to really work there. Right, because it isn't necessarily a binge release. I don't feel like that necessarily makes sense if you're trying to follow things. I think back to, it was Rhythm and Flow. This is almost three years ago at this point, but the show, you know, the competition show Cardi B and Chance and T.I., I think they did every week or every other week for three block episode of release. And I felt like that was okay. It wasn't too long that felt like it didn't make sense for Netflix, but it was just enough to capture some momentum. And I think back about that. I was like, okay. Even that is a format, right? It's a competition show. So those work. The competition shows work. The format shows, the real estate, the cooking, the anything. It's just that finding that right rhythm, that right lane for DocuFollow is going to be the challenge. Right. Yeah, that's your point. And then, of course, the Kardashians may be a bit of an outlier just given the size of them. But you are in a lot of ways bringing either new stars or people who haven't necessarily had their headlines everywhere in quite some time to the stage. And that's a little bit of a different. That's a little bit of a different. Yeah, a little bit of a different proposition, if you will. Yeah, definitely. The other reason why I wanted to chat with you is because even before Love and Hip Hop and everything else, you had spent years in music and you were one of the early ones that were looking at the opportunities for artists working specifically with brands and looking back at whether it's 50s vitamin water deal or Corvassier with Busta. Corvassier or Mountain Dew or Missy with Adidas or I should say Adidas and Reebok and, you know, a tribe called Quest and Sprite, right? It goes all the way back to that. 
what do you think it was? Because I felt like Violator was here when everyone else was here in terms of just pushing those things. There were a few others I know that were doing their thing, but it felt like you all were at least five years ahead of where everyone else was pushing that, pushing those things. Well, and I appreciate that. For us, it was really always about how do we maximize for our clients, right? We were managers first. And then when we realized that there were all these other areas that we needed to educate ourselves in and get involved in, in order to really manage our clients to the best of our ability and help them expand their brands and fully monetize, you know, their talents and their contributions to a culture that we saw was taking over every area of advertising and pop culture. We realized that, you know, the opportunities were way beyond just their music, way beyond understanding how to conduct the business of their music. It was about their branding, their cross, you know, marketing value, their ability to bridge the gap with brands and sponsors. So that was just a function of us really wanting to represent our clients, not just the best of our ability to help them maximize to the fullest what they, you know, they were bringing to the table with their music and with their cultural relevance. So we understood that it was bigger than just the music. And do you feel like a lot of the brand partners that you were pitching and talking to about these opportunities at the time saw that it was bigger than just the music and wanted in? Because I look at the way things are now and the amount of deals and partnerships we see now, it was nothing compared to what it was like when you were doing these deals back then. I mean, you know, it's interesting because there was that period where they didn't quite understand what was happening with this, you know, music and the culture, because it was always just across the board, Black, white, Asian, and understanding what that kind of point of connection was, right, with all of these kids. Was it the music? Was it the clothing? Was it the lifestyle? What exactly are they buying into? And I think we served a very important role in helping them bridge that gap, right? Giving them that understanding of what hip hop was culturally and all of its different touch points. And then it became about, well, can't we just tap this thing without having to necessarily put this talent front and center? We can just use the music. We can dress, you know, our folks in the clothing and getting them to understand that there was an authenticity right? That came with the culture that you couldn't fake. And that if you were going to do it, it had to be done in a way that was mutually beneficial because we also couldn't afford to risk our clients' viability with their core audience. Because if they, you know, sold out, then they were done with the music. And that exchange, that dialogue, that conversation, I think is what allowed us to position ourselves in a way that benefited our clients, that allowed us to become a gateway to the culture and to the music for a lot of these brands. And that allowed companies like Steve Stout's translation literally to exist based on being that you know cultural bridge. So it was a stepped up process of getting them one to understand what this thing called hip hop was and then how it was influencing their consumers and then how best to tap it in a way that, you know, didn't hurt the artists that they were exploiting. And I'll use the word exploit because I think, you know, exploiting is simply taking full advantage of a situation or, you know, a space. And that's what it was at the end of the day. 
And we definitely saw a lot of the success at the time with the number of deals that we were seeing. Were there any that you look back on that you were like, oh, you may have pitched that client or you may have tried to push this one. They just weren't ready. But if this was now, it would have been no question. This would have already been happening. You know, I always look back at that time fondly because I realized that we were at the forefront of, you know, an industry that nobody knew exactly what it was. Now, when I hear, you know, branding, brand partnerships, you know, I'm like, Okay, I guess that's what we were doing way back then. But I think I look back more fondly at the way we were able to leverage our talent into those deals, right? Buster with Mountain Dew started out as a print campaign. And by the time we were done, it had grown into this multi-million dollar, you know, 360 television spots, everything. It started out as a radio campaign, actually. Not even, it was just going to be his voice. Right. And then it blew up into something more. It's just now it's par for the course. Now, you know, if you don't have a brand endorsement deal, if you're not, you know, aligned, people think you haven't made it. Right. But back then, I think it was a lot more challenging, a lot more difficult. And, you know, I think we broke a lot of barriers with the kinds of deals that we did. Let's take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsor. This episode of Trapital is brought to you by HitPiece. Despite the controversial beta launch earlier this year, music NFT platform HitPiece has launched and revamped its service to better help today's artists. HitPiece creates a boundless frontier between music creators and fans through NFTs, metaverse, and real-life experiences. HitPiece collaborates and activates independent, platinum, and diamond-selling artists, brands, partnerships, and orgs that are supporting Web3. This platform is built for the artists and fans who want to authenticate music NFTs powered by Audible Magic, NFTs built on Ethereum main from your favorite recording artists and NFT creators, and it's your keys, your wallet. Recording artists and creators and fans maintain ownership of their NFTs, minting, trading, and selling their own self-custodial wallets and more, and you have proprietary access to the music metaverse experience called The Lounge. Want to learn more? Go to hitpiece.com to find out how the platform can help your artists get to the next level. Yeah, definitely. And I can imagine now that with the stars that are on Love & Hip Hop and the talent that you're working with now, some of them are probably trying to see, okay, can they reach out to you to get advice on these types of deals that they're getting? Do you get involved with any of that ever? Or You know, every once in a while, but the interesting thing is now they're sought after right? Because of their following. And all of these brands want them, you know, creating these organic posts so that folks can really believe they're drinking this slim tummy tea or whatever it is that they're hawking. But I think the value, understanding the value of their engagement with their fans is the most important thing for these guys. And I think they're all doing a fantastic job. I mean, I'm always surprised when it's like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, I don't really believe that they're eating or drinking or engaging in this activity, but more power to you. Go ahead. <laughs> Does any of this ever find a way to get itself into the show itself where folks are like, okay, I have this partnership now. They'll give me extra money if I wear this Fashion Nova t-shirt in this season of Love and Hip Hop. It's, it's funny that you mentioned Fashion Nova because they are extremely aggressive and they have, <laughs> you know, they were very smart about the way they built their business, right? They just went out and got a bunch of brand ambassadors. And I think in the beginning, it was for a box of free clothes. They had all of these people hawking their product. 
But the networks and the buyers, they're pretty savvy now. And, you know, they've got their ad sales departments. They still rely probably more than ever on their ad sales dollars. And so they're very, very leery of any kind of integrations and there are opportunities to kind of go through the front door, do deals with them, buy ad time and get real, you know, integrated placements. And sometimes, you know, they're also good about if it's an organic, you know, partnership with the talent and it's something potentially that factors into their story, they'll let it slide and let it make its way into the story. But they're a little bit savvy to the fact that, you know, sometimes the talent is getting paid for this and is promising the placement on the show as part of their deal and leveraging that. And yeah, they put the smack down on that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine because it's one of these things where, of course, it's more money into the show. And I think everyone generally could benefit from it. But from the other perspective, you don't just want to turn the whole thing into sponsored content, right? Yeah, I'm constantly saying to the talent, this is not going to be one big message, commercial, you know. But listen, a lot of times the network isn't even participating in that income. They're just letting the talent, yeah, whatever deals that they have in place with these brand partners, they just let the talent hang on to it. So it doesn't really bring money to the show's bottom line. And depending on who the partner is, like somebody like Fashion Nova, the network definitely, you know, their antennas go up. But some of, you know, the smaller brands, and especially if it's the talent's brand and they know that it's their business. Like you'll always see Yandy washing her face with Yale skincare. You'll see Rashida doing a scene at the press, you know, store or at the Frost Bistro. So if it's their businesses, the network is always happy to, you know, give them the opportunity to promote their brands and their businesses. Is there ever any pressure from the network to try to capture all of the value that the show is creating? Because I know I'm hearing that from so many other areas in media and entertainment where they're seeing what's being captured in their area or they're seeing what's happening in what they're creating. They want to be able to capture more of that. How have those conversations been like with the network if they come up at all? When you say capture more of it, you mean with the content or trying to find ways to exploit the brand? The latter, trying to find ways to exploit the brand. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit of a tightrope, right? Because they want to preserve the integrity of the brand. They want to protect the brand and not overexpose it or not hurt it by doing the wrong thing with the brand. But they certainly want to, you know see the brand continue to evolve, which has been a big part of the staying power. And I think Viacom does a really good you know, job at that when you think about Love and Hip Hop and the way that it's branched into, you know, all of the specials that we do. And they have, you know, the spinoffs that they do with the talent. And now they're beginning to do smaller capsule shows that are going to be coming out, you know, whether it's like watch party type shows or, you know, getaway trip type shows. So they're very careful about not diluting and over exposing the brand, but they're very good about continuing to build on the brand so that it evolves and, you know, continues to have a long life. Yeah. And I feel like the longevity you've already had speaks a lot to this. I'm curious though, because I know in other interviews, people have often asked you about how your show is positioned relative to some of the other reality shows and whether or not you are portraying certain people in the best light. And I'm always curious. One of the things I was wondering is, is that more so chatter where people are talking about these things or have any of those conversations actually impacted anything you've either done with the show or the show's 
success in any way? I mean, a lot of it is chatter because, you know, in all fairness, when I watch the other shows, there really isn't anything much different happening on those shows in terms of the way the cast members are expressing themselves in any given moment. I think the increased scrutiny on our show has one to do, and I say it very honestly with the word hip hop in the title, right? I think that there's this preconceived, you know, stigma attached to this huge genre that is literally pop culture right now. So it's almost ridiculously laughable that people still want to treat hip hop as some kind of a subculture, you know, of any kind. But I think the fact that the word hip hop is in the title makes people put us under a microscope, under a magnifying glass in a much different way than they do with, you know, shows with the word housewives or Beverly Hills in the title. But if you look at the reactions and you look at some of the situations, they're not different at all. So for me, it it is chatter, right? Because I think the strength is in the numbers and the viewership. I think that's where you know, honestly, that there is something very relatable about this show, no matter what people want to say or think, because of the sheer volume of, you know, folks who tune in week in, week out to see the show. The staying power that the show has had, the influence that the show has had, whether it's music or, you know, the number of shout outs that the show gets, the number of mentions that it gets, what happens on social media whenever the show is on air. There's a stronghold there that I think is undeniable. And so there's that whole saying about, you know, we build things up just to bring them down. And we've seen that happen with so many different cultural and iconic, you know, things And I just think that it's par for the course with this franchise. And I also think you've seen that in the range of folks that tune in as well, because I think sometimes the type of content that you create, people will often say, oh, well, that's meant for a certain type of person. And that's like, well, it's not really the case because there's people of all ranges of income, however you want to measure success. Yeah, it's actually pretty mind boggling, even to this day when, you know, for a long time, I did the VOs at the top of the show. So the voice has become a little bit of, you know, its own personality. And a lot of people don't know what I look like. But the minute I open my mouth and it'll be like middle age, you know, white people and young, very young kids. And I'm like, why, you know, are you even watching this show? You should be watching Nickelodeon. And so it's interesting to me, the broad range of audience that it's found. And again, I always go back to the relatability and I always go back to the connectivity with the stories. And I think that that's what people gravitate towards. Yeah. And I think that's always going to be there as long as the show continues to evolve as well. And I'm thinking you are probably already thinking about several seasons ahead of now, several years ahead of now, but I'm very curious to see what is this next generation of talent that is going to be into your show, the generation that grew up on TikTok, the generation that grew up with a lot of the things. I think a lot of the talent on your show, whether they're Gen X or millennials, more so, okay, they had their run, but eventually it's going to be the Gen Z folks and more of them that are going to be on the show more regularly, how that's going to shape not just the things they talk about and everything else, but also as streaming and other things evolve, how the show continues to move and how the show continues to grow from that perspective. So I'd love to hear what you think the future is going to look like, let's say five years down the road of how the show may continue to evolve. 
Oh, wow. I mean, you know, it's always been about the cast and they've shaped kind of the feel and the content within the show. So if you're talking about, you know, five years from now, there's going to be a cast there that is reflective of where we are with music, technology, the culture, and those are going to be the stories that we're telling. So hard to predict, but like I said, the key and the magic of the franchise has always been that the brand, you know, acted as kind of a bubble within which you cycled in the talent. And five years from now, there's going to be the talent doing what they do, how they do it, and we'll be right there with those cameras to capture it. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see. So in the next couple of months, though, what should people stay in tune for? Before we wrap things up here, what should people look out for? Oh, so many things that we're doing. I mean, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the Living Hip Hop franchise, but as a company, we have so many other projects that we're engaged in and that we're doing. And one in particular coming October 27th and November 3rd, actually, is the actual premiere, but Hip Hop Homicides is a show that we're doing on WeTV, 50 Cent and IG Unit. Mona Me and Lionsgate came together with WeTV, and that is a show we're very excited about, very proud of. And it just, again, utilizing, you know, hip hop culture as kind of the foundation, but it's looking at those staggering number of murders that have occurred within our culture that still remain unsolved. And even some of them where folks are, you know, serving time for these murders, there are still questions out there that have never been answered. And so Van Lathan is our host and he does a very active, you know, boots on the ground kind of journey to a bunch of different cities where we take a close look at these murders and talk to family members and fans alike. And it's really, to me, a very, very fresh look at these murders that have plagued our community. Oh, nice. That'll be a good one. And I've always liked Van and everything that he's done. I know he's done a lot of stuff with the rigor recently, but no, he'll be good. I'm excited for this. No, he's great at it. And Hip Hop Homicides on WeTV, Yep, November 3rd, and we're excited for that one. So that's the next thing coming down the pike. Great stuff, great stuff. Well, Mona, this is great. Excited for you, excited for everything coming up from Mona Me Entertainment. And if people want to follow along with you or whatever things happening, where should they check in to follow? They can on Instagram, Twitter, all social platforms, Mona Scott Young or Mona Me Productions, at Mona Me Productions. All right, great. Thanks again. This is great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Traffalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating, and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.